Psalm 34, and this is what it says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a light to our feet and a lamp for our path. And Father, we pray that as we look at your word together, that you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will help us to take on board what you're saying to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. to drop my envelope there that I close my notes. So a hymn of praise for troubled times. I'll come to the title in a minute. There are three headings this morning, continual praising, continual looking and continual provision. Psalm 34 was written by David and it's an acrostic poem. Now what that means is it uses the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet to commence each verse. So if it was in English, the first verse would begin with A, second verse B, and so on, an acrostic poem. It also has a superscription. Now, I didn't actually know what the word meant, but I found it in a commentary, and a superscription is often above something else. And I'm going to read that superscription now because it gives you the background to David writing this psalm. The superscription says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, if you were to look at the book of 1 Samuel, it tells you exactly what this superscription is talking about. So for example, we read that Samuel had anointed David to succeed Saul as king. But David found that Saul was jealous of him. The woman in the country sang, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And in 1 Samuel 19, we can read that Saul's jealousy turned to thoughts of murder. 
So David, with the help of his good friend Jonathan, who was Saul's son, escaped from Saul. And in 1 Samuel 21, you find that David is in Gath. Now, Gath was enemy territory. Gath is where Goliath was from, who David struck down. King Abimelech, now some commentators think that was his official title, a bit like the pharaohs of Egypt were all called pharaohs. So King, King Abimelech had officers who were unhappy that David was in the land. And so David was then afraid of what King Abimelech might do to him. David pretended to be insane. So it says in the subscription when he changed his behaviour. He pretended to be a madman. He scratched on doors and he allowed the saliva to drip down his beard. King Abimelech drove him out because he said, we've got enough mad people in this country without having one more. So he drove him away and David went to hide in the cave. That's explained. Let me tell you how I came to my title. Charles Spurgeon wrote that Psalm 34 could be divided into... Is that better? Should the light be on, Dean? <laughs> yeah, that should be the light on. Right, let's have a second. Just that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Right, excuse me, I'm just going to take this off. Charles Spurgeon, speaking about Psalm 34, said that the first 10 verses were like a hymn and the next 12 verses were like a sermon. Well, this morning we're going to um, study the first 10 verses that I read. And why troubled times? As I already mentioned, David was in danger. He was fleeing from Saul. And there are also many instances in the psalm which suggest that it was a tough time for David. So, for example, going down through the psalm, verse 4, he delivered me. Verse 6, all his troubles. Verse 7, delivers them. Verse 8, the man who takes refuge in him. And also in verse 6, it says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. In the New King James Version, it says, this poor man cried out. It's a sense of help. So one more thing I want to point out about the psalm before we go to study it. Notice that Lord in the psalm is in capital letters, and that's not a mistake. It's to represent the Hebrew Yahweh without any vowels. It could be Yahweh or Jehovah. And why did they take out the vowels in the Hebrew? It was an Israelite tradition not to pronounce or spell out God's name. This was to honor and magnify God's name. 
So when God's Hebrew name Yahweh is used in the Old Testament, English translators use Lord in capital letters. There are many names in the Old Testament used for God. For example, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah, um, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. So when Lord's in capital letters, it's to emphasize that we should be magnifying and glorifying God's name. As I've dropped my notes. <laughs> now this is probably the longest introduction I've ever given for a sermon, but don't worry, I think we'll be finished by two o'clock. <laughs> my first heading, continual praising verses 1 to 3. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. At all times, continually. Even when we're afraid of someone, just as David was afraid of Saul, even when we're afraid what someone might do to us, like David's situation, even when someone has lied about us, I wonder if you've ever been in a situation in your life when somebody has told a blatant lie about you. Sally and I were talking about this and both of us in our teaching career experienced in different situations, because we're in different schools, someone who lied about us. And for my situation, I could have ended up in huge trouble not because of anything I did, but because of the lies that someone told about me. Maybe you've been in a similar situation. But even in these situations, we need to continually praise God. Matt Redman is a humble worship leader who has suffered a lot. I don't know if you know of Matt's background, but his dad died when he was seven years old. It was even worse though because Matt found out that his dad had committed suicide. During his teenage years, Matt suffered abuse. As for Beth, Matt's wife, she experienced a series of miscarriages. However, during that time, the songs, Blessed Be Your Name, and You Never Let Go, were written by Matt and Beth Redman. And in their book, which I can recommend, 10,000 Reasons, I think we're going to be singing this later. In this book, this is what Matt wrote, wrote concerning worship and praise at a really, really difficult time in his life. Worship was a constant in my life, a place where I could hang out that wasn't subject to change. It was a place of security and serenity. It was a place where I knew I could find Jesus ruling and reigning over my life in love and stability. He was the unshakable one, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sorry, it's gonna be one of these mornings when I keep dropping my notes. Our worship can be a weapon, 
helping us defeat our fears with faith and answer our anxieties with a sense of holy assurance. King David did it in Scripture. We're told that faced with an immensely pressured situation, he strengthened himself in the Lord. And a commentator, J.A. Motcher, said, Our praise of God should be independent and irrespective of our circumstances. Verse 2 says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. See, we are not to boast in ourselves, our achievements, our position. We are not to boast in our children or our grandchildren. We are to boast in the Lord. Lord with capital letters. It's the humble that hear and they are glad. In other words, if we boast in the Lord, other people are affected in a positive way. Notice in verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So David changes from singular to plural. From I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth, to magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Then in verse 5, those and there. Verse 7, those and verse 9, you plural, his saints. And verse 10, those. You know, we should encourage one another to worship and praise God. There is blessing, just like we're doing this morning, in meeting together to worship God. As a church, Jesus did not say, I will build my child, I will build my servant. He said, I will build my church. And we should praise and worship God in our lives. And on a Sunday morning, it should be a continuation of praise and worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Continual praising. Let's move on to continual looking. Verses 4 to 6. Just over a week ago, I was on a Zoom meeting and a man called Alistair from down south, he asked the question, who are people looking to today? Are they looking to doctors, to carers, to teachers, to politicians, to false gods, to fortune tellers, to musical artists, to sports stars, to celebrities that you might see on television? Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You see, David was looking to God. I think Joseph Scriven, you might recognize the name. He was born over 200 years ago, but he was absolutely spot on in what he wrote in his hymn. And you'll recognize these words, I think. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We can be set free from our fears when we pray, when our first port of call is God. 
looking continually to God. A week past Friday, I was walking in Presswick Main Street. I was going to B&M. And just on the right-hand side on the pavement was a man giving out tracks. So I took a track from him and on the way into B&M, I just having a look at the track just to check out, is this off the truth or is it from the Jehovah's Witnesses? But I soon established it was off the truth. It was a Christian tract. And it mentioned the bronze serpent. You'll know the story in Exodus where in the wilderness, the people of Israel, there was snakes that bit them. And Moses held up a bronze snake on a pole. And when the people who'd been bitten by the snakes looked at the bronze snake on the pole, they were healed from their snake bites. And when Jesus spoke about this in John's Gospel, John chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, I'll just mention this, I'll just read this, sorry. No one who has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus was referring back to the bronze serpent and people looked at that bronze serpent and they were healed. And he was saying, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross and those who look to me, those who believe in me, those who trust in me, I will heal them. Not of an illness or a snake bite, but I will heal them from their sins. I will forgive them for their sins. So I appreciated that lady, that man, sorry, giving me the tract. And I was going to go back and tell him, you're doing a good job. Um, but when I went back, he had gone. And just as a little add-on, as I was buying my things in B&M, I thought, the lady who's serving me, she seemed very friendly and with a wee chat, and I thought, I'm just going to give her the tract. So I gave her the tract and said, a man in the street gave me this, and I believe it too. She didn't seem to appreciate it, but anyway, I think it was better with her than it was with me. So looking to God, looking to Jesus, and the big book of Hebrews also says the same thing. For those of us that are Christians, we should look to Jesus Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so let us lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God of the throne of God, looking to Jesus, looking to God. Verse 5 of Psalm 34, those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never filled with shame. You know, people should look to us as Christians and they should see that we are different. Verse 8, later on, we'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Could I, as a miserable, critical, 
grumbling Christian say to someone, taste and see that the Lord is good? Of course not. Warren Wearsby in this book, The Bumps Are What You Climb On, he speaks about the joy that we as Christians should have. And this is what he says. Christian people are joyful people. Their sins are forgiven. Their Father in heaven cares for them. They have a home waiting when this life is over. We can't always rejoice over our circumstances, but we can rejoice in our circumstances. No matter how uncomfortable they may be, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Our first hymn today, we're saying rejoice. Joy is the birthright of every believer, knowing that you are saved, one of God's children, forgiven, going to heaven, is a source of endless joy. But some Christians seem to have lost that joy. Is that possible? And if it is, how can this joy be restored again? He goes on to describe three ways he thinks that joy can be lost. Number one, unconfessed sin. Number two, neglect of reading the word of God. And number three, neglect of prayer. And I had to speak to myself just this last week. Sally and I were in Silverburn and Sally would witness to this that I was grumbling about something. And it was just later on, I think, when I was preparing for it this morning, I realized I've not prayed about this. So if you've lost your joy, maybe examine yourself and see, is there some unconfessed sin in my life? Have I neglected reading God's word regularly, daily? Or have I neglected prayer like I had in that particular situation? An air greenkeeper at Dalmilling Golf Course told me that one evening in March, just a few months ago, he and a friend and his friend's son had gone to, not Dalmilling where he worked, they'd gone to Turnbury. And those of you that know Turnbury, I guess it was actually the Ailsa course, the championship course. And they went that evening with their UV torches. And they shone their torches as they walked, not in the fairways, but they walked the rough of the Ailsa course in Turnbury. And you can guess what happened. These golf balls were radiant. They were shining. They stood out in the rough. And he told me they found between them over 900 golf balls. That was them stopped up, not just for this season, but for a good few seasons to come. You know, we should be radiant. We should stand out. The verse... Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. We should also not be ashamed. Why? Because God is faithful. He is good and he'll never let us down. Then in verse 6, this poor man, and surely, commentators agree on this, surely this is David himself. You see, we are all poor. As Jesus told us in the Beatitudes, blessed 
are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Wesley's hymn, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, the fourth verse says, The mournful, broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. You see, it's not the proud, the confident, the self-assured who are heard by God and saved from their troubles. It's those who realize their poverty before God and they keep looking to him, continual looking, keeping looking to God, keeping, keep looking to God's son, Jesus. So we move on to our final heading, verses 7 to 10, continual provision. I mentioned earlier on one of the names of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Genesis 22, 12 to 14 says this, he, the angel of God, said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This continual provision is like a resulting product. You see, the person who offers praise to God, continual praise to God, individually and collectively, the person who continually looks to God, seeks God, fears God, will experience God's continual provision for their needs. And let's look at some of the provision mentioned in the psalm. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear him and delivers them. I wonder if you, like me, can look back in your life to times when God or God's angels have protected you from danger, have protected you from harm, have protected you from the evil one and delivered you. And then what about the tasting and seeing the goodness of God? As Christians, we are privileged to enjoy the goodness of God in our lives. We should be saying to unbelievers, come and taste and see that God is good. And you're not saying, check out God's credentials. No. It's actually like Francis's sweet potato and carousel soup. Here's a warm invitation on a cold winter's day. Come and try this soup. I know you're going to like it. I've tasted it before and it's good. In fact, it's very good. Taste and see God's goodness. In the same verse, there is blessing 
and there is refuge. God's provision of blessing and of a place of refuge. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then notice in verse 9, those who fear him have no lack. In verse 10, it's emphasized, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And perhaps you might question David's statement because you might say, well, when I consider things, I actually lack many good things in my life. But we need to remember that God knows what we need. He knows our deepest needs. And our deepest needs as Christians are spiritual. David was saying, if you have God, you have all you really need. God is enough. Graham Kendrick, a number of years ago, wrote a hymn for the tears that flow in secret, in the broken times, for the moments of elation or the troubled mind, for all the disappointments or the sting of old regrets, all my prayers and longings that seem unanswered yet, for this I have Jesus. God's greatest provision for us as Christians is Jesus. Continual provision. So as we finish, let's take on board in our lives the need to continually praise God no matter the circumstances. Let's be continually looking to God and to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith. And then, by God's mercy and grace, we'll experience his continual provision in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'll help us to continually praise you in our lives. No matter what's going on, in the good times, but in the, the difficult times, in the times when we go through times of suffering, help us to keep praising you. Help us to keep looking to you and looking to your son, the Lord Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And thank you, Father, that you provide for us because you are a good, gracious and merciful God. Amen.